The scripture is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, starting in the 16th verse. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bezalbal, How much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. So my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker for this morning, who also happens to be a pretty good friend of mine. I'm, I'm very grateful to, to know Ross. And uh, um, Ross is a professor at VST and teaches from time to time at Regent College as well. And uh, I might be taking some courses. Later. I might be a student of Ross's a little bit, so that would be great. Um, but uh, Ross and I have worked together on a number of things, and, and I know Ross through uh, Ross attends now St. Andrew's St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church, though he was a minister in other churches um, for years, and then does this, goes and speaks at churches on most Sunday mornings, I would think. So, uh, And uh, I, I heard the sermon already, because I went to St. Timothy's, and Ross was preaching at St. Timothy's this morning, and it's really, really good, so you're going to like it. You know how... You know how sometimes you hear a sermon and you think, that was just for me? Were you speaking just to me? Okay, good. I, I was hoping some of you would nod yes, because occasionally I preach. Um, <laughs> I was, no, don't know that feeling. Not here, anyway. Um, and that happened to me in, in, a, few, in a few ways this, uh, this morning, but one of them in terms of some of the sermon series we have coming up, which next week we start this uh, series we've called Adventures, Treks, and Expeditions, and you'll... Uh, know uh, when uh, Ross comes to speak why that is relevant to why I was thinking that. 
And then in the fall, we're going to do a series on how to tell your story of faith. We want to, we want to help you guys know that the reality of witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ is first to know the presence of Jesus Christ in your lives. And uh, the sermon is very relevant for that as well. Uh, Ross and his wife Laura and their three kids, Emily and Jack and Sadie, live here on the North Shore. And uh, I'm going to introduce Ross by showing you, you know how you watch like a talk show or something and the talk show host finds an old clip? So not like the recent movie they were in, and there's lots of recent movies Ross was in, but an older clip and the, and the guest always goes, oh, you're not going to play it, are you? Yes, we are. So this is an old liturgical dance clip that Ross recorded in Winnipeg when he was working there. And uh, we want to show it to you this morning. So we start. The King of Glory comes and makes and rejoices. Open the gates before and lift up your voices. Who is this King of Glory? How shall we call him? He is Emmanuel, the promise of ages. The King of Glory comes and makes and rejoices. Open the gates before and lift up your voices. Who is this King of Glory? How shall Ross, <laughs> I don't think you have a spotlight for preaching, but I was going to pray for Ross, but I know you prayed for the sermon at the beginning of the St. Timothy sermon, and you did that better than I would now. Bless you, so sir. Lord be with you. Brother. Thank you so much. Wow. Sutherland Church, thank you. I have never been introduced like that before <laughs> in preaching. Uh, yeah, you definitely want to get rid of that. Uh, it is great to be back with you, and uh, that's a, a long-standing joke. I'm, I'm always trying to introduce uh, liturgical dance, uh, uh, dry ice lasers, and bubble machines into worship, and Todd keeps saying no. So there's a background to that. Uh, I'm delighted to be back with you. I was preaching at St. Timothy's this morning, uh, helping them out as Ken is on sabbatical, and your uh, pastor, who I love, said, uh, hey, why don't you stick around and preach at Sutherland? It's always a pleasure to do that. Uh, when I was prepared to be a pastor in seminary, I was taught uh, sources of strength in addition to the Lord uh, would be your uh, wife and your family, uh, good elders on session, uh, but they never taught me the third one, which is uh, amazing colleagues in ministry in the community. Uh, and uh, Todd has been one of those great brothers in Christ uh, who continues to support me in my teaching ministry now at St. Andrew's Hall is the Presbyterian school across the water at campus, and he's right, I teach at VST. I also teach uh, at Regent College. I teach pastoral care there. And Sutherland has blessed the work I do in mission by participating in some of our projects, so thank you for your support. Uh, what an amazing text we have today. I, I can't wait to dig into this. So uh, let's get down to prayer, and then let's break open God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time together, uh, for this totally unused Sabbath day all around us, this day that you have made that we might rest and recreate in order to give you glory. So here we are, God. We didn't choose to be here. You called us here. And here we are, and now you equip us through your word with a purpose. We know ourselves through your covenant of grace. We're saved to be sent. So equip us now that as we leave this place, 
and go out into our everyday, ordinary lives. Through our words and our works, we might be witnesses to your glory. We might enhance your reputation where we live, work, and play. We ask this in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Well, again, it is a, a joy to be with you, and I was thinking, I was preaching to Anglicans uh, this morning, and I never know what Sutherland is, like brethren, or, or like, like you guys are, yeah, like I'd say, the Sutherland folks, they're just like Christians, awesome. Uh, and so uh, I think it's safe here to confess something that I probably couldn't say in a Presbyterian church, uh, and that is I love the Christian action of pilgrimage. I love pilgrimage. When I think back, I was doing some writing on this, when I think of how God has shaped my discipleship over the years, he's shaped it through pilgrimage primarily uh, as one of those um, critical moments both for myself and as a, a pastor taking people away to biblical sites or to famous church history sites. So I've led pilgrimages uh, to Ireland, footsteps of St. Patrick, uh, to Turkey a few times, and Greece, footsteps of Paul. I'm going to do that again next year, uh, multiple times to Israel. There's something about taking people from, let's say, the west coast of Canada to uh, Israel and placing them in these locations where these biblical stories, they just come alive. Uh, it's really important for you to hear me uh, say this. Uh, you don't read the Bible better after going on pilgrimage. That would be arrogant and rude. I have no time for that. But you do read it differently. When you hear these scriptures read, you can close your eyes and picture. So when I was reading through Matthew's gospel this week, I was actually thinking of a favorite place that I take people uh, when I'm in Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And from up on the Mount of Olives, you can look over to uh, the old city of Jerusalem, and you can see the path, roughly, that Jesus would have taken on a donkey on Palm Sunday, right? That's the Sunday where, like, Hunger Games style, we arm children with weapons in church, right? We give them those palm branches, and they, like, have sword fights and poke each other in the eye. So on that biblical story, uh, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, and it's at Passover. And you know the story. You can picture it with me, right? People are they're laying their cloaks down on the roadway in order to honor the Messiah who's coming. Uh, they're waving palm branches. What are they shouting? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And Jesus is walking along. He's going towards the mercy gate that ironically today is all blocked up. No mercy there. Uh, and he's going along. Everyone is having a great time. They're just uh, overwhelmed with joy. Everyone except who in this story? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the professional clergy types, the pastors. And in Luke's telling of the story, there's something really important. They say to Jesus, Teacher, get your disciples, get your Talmudine under control. They're out of control. Do you remember what Jesus says? Even if they were silent, the stones would cry out, right? I love that text, shouting stones. But we know Luke's gospel that tells us that particular story because he writes a part two, right? Luke's gospel 2.0, we call what? The Acts of the Apostles. Same author, right? 
And if you read the Acts of the Apostles, maybe you're a, a new convert to Christianity and you're still figuring out your way around the Bible, that's awesome. We bless you for that. We can help you with that. If you read through the book of Acts, there are no stones that are crying out. Amen? I mean, the people of God who are disciples of Jesus Christ are giving their very lives from the stoning of Stephen on in order to witness while they do the work of the gospel. So Jesus knew that the stones wouldn't have to cry out. But how did he know that? Well, when you look at the gospel stories, he's been preparing people all the way along for their witness. He's been gathering them. He's been training them. He's been putting little training wheels around their witness and sending them out. If you dial back in Luke's gospel to Luke 10, which is a favorite text for people in the field that I work in called missiology or theology of missions, that's the sending of the disciples out, right? And they come back and Jesus says, what, I saw Satan fall, right, like lightning from heaven. He's just so thrilled at the ministry they've had. This is Jesus equipping people to go out into the world, into the workplace, and to share their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, when I was preparing uh, scripture this week and reading through scripture to to preach, uh, I was saying to St. Timothy's, you know, the Anglicans, they they follow the lectionary readings, these assigned readings, which I, I never really do. So whenever I preach in an Anglican church, I always think, oh, wow, like I don't get to choose. I have to preach on these texts. And I was looking at Matthew 10 that was assigned And this would be something uh, fun for you to do this afternoon as you're basking in the sun on your patio. Compare Luke 10 with Matthew 10. They're not identical, but they are similar. They are stories of Jesus sending his disciples out with little training wheels on, right? So he sends them out into the world. And as he does so, as he sends them, In Matthew's gospel, he gives them instructions. He gives them instructions. And if you have a look, it makes sense when you kind of dial back what's going on in Matthew's gospel. So Matthew 1, the very first chapter, is the chapter that if uh, Todd says, hey, can you read scripture on Sunday? And he gives you Matthew 1. That's the awkward one. That's the genealogies, right? where people are just barely trying to stay awake as you read through that long list of names. It serves a purpose, biblically, right? Matthew, writing for an urban Jewish audience, wants to say, no, 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 Jesus didn't come out of nowhere. He is part of God's plan of salvation, right? The sending of the Son. And he traces all through the genealogy. So Matthew 1, genealogy. Matthew 2, help me out, Christmas, right? Okay, Christmas story. Uh, Matthew 3, John the Baptist, right? Matthew 4, temptation by the devil, right? Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, the great sermon on the mount teaching. I don't know what we should call Matthew 6. I kind of call it like Beatitudes 2.0. It's like the teaching that comes out of the Beatitudes. Matthew 7, a golden rule, right? And then Matthew 8 and 9 are ridiculously good. They're ridiculously good. It is this tsunami, this overwhelming wave of healing stories. Like, it's weird, right? So Jesus has launched his public ministry. There's a little bit of healing that goes on. But why now is there, like, this surge, this crescendo of healing stories in 8 and 9? We're going to figure that out in a moment, right? 
So we get to Matthew 10, just before this reading from Matthew 10, the earlier part. You need to know that earlier part to make sense of this part that we heard today. This is where Jesus sends his disciples out with training wheels on to practice their witness out in the world. And it gives them very clear instructions. If it's in front of you, you can, you can look it up. It's Matthew 10, just reading from verse 1 on. Jesus says what? Okay, folks, here's what you need to do. Listen up, pay attention. This is almost like one of those um, classic 1930s police dramas where the sergeant is behind the big desk handing out the night assignment, right? Jesus says this. Okay, pay attention, pay attention. This is important. Number one, preach the good news that the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. You got that? Write that down, people. Okay, okay. so all the disciples taking their notes, right? It says, number one, you got to preach the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near. People think, okay, that's a little intimidating, but I think I can do that. Number two, do this, he says. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Right? Cast out demons. Come on, Jesus. Wow. Like that first one was daunting enough. And then he gives the second one. I was uh, sharing in the, in the first service how, you know, just, just that first one of sharing the gospel can be overwhelming for people, right? Like the, uh, the story of the guy who uh, heard that uh, his preacher kept saying, you've got to get out there and share the gospel, you've got to witness, and he was just so timid, so he thought, I'm going to meet my pastor halfway, I'm only going to share the gospel through my actions, not my words, Right? And so he tries to live the gospel day in and day out. Weeks go by in the workplace. No one notices a thing. Until finally at the office water cooler after a few weeks, someone says, there is something different about you. And the guy is just thrilled. And he stands up nice and tall and says, well, well, yes, thank you for noticing. Yeah, yeah, there is something really different about you. I'm just trying to put my finger on it. Funny you should say that, because I've been living in a certain way, hoping you notice. I know what it is, the co-worker says. You've become a vegetarian. So there's that sense in which, you know, you really kind of want to get a sense of words and works. How do we do that? So there's the timid end of the scale when it comes to preaching the good news. And then we all know the other end of the scale, right? There is that scale that is just over the top right, over the top, like the barber who took it to the extreme. He heard his uh, pastor encouraging uh, to witness in the workplace, so he shows up early. First customer comes in, is seated. He says, just a moment, I have to get things ready. He goes to the back, and he's praying, Lord, give me me the the, the right opportunity here to witness. And he's he's thinking, what is it my pastor said? If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? Right, that's what I need to say. But he gets all kind of flustered, and he comes out with the Bible in one hand and a razor in the other, and he says, are you ready to die? He says, the man in the barber chair and the guy's out of there, right? So, like, we're weighing these two kind of opposite, you know, problems. Am I courageous enough to preach the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near? Or am I so overzealous that I just turn people off? When I was in northern Ontario, I had a, a colleague in ministerial who uh, he was a good and he was a godly guy, and I'd pick him up for ministerial. We'd always stop by the Safeway on the way to ministerial to pick up, you know, like cookies or whatever. And I kid you not, every single month, Todd knows this story, every single month, the guy, as the scan would go with a cashier, what does a cashier say to you? And how are you today? 
right? Does the cashier really care? Probably not, right? So, and how are you today? Every month, this guy would say, saved, how are you? And I was just like, come on, man. Like, you could just see the cashier rolling her eyes. And after a couple of months of that, I went, we're walking to the car. I said, can you just stop that? And he was genuinely shocked. And I said, you're embarrassing Jesus when you do that, right? Like, like it's true, but it's, it's this finding the sweet spot of witness where the world doesn't just roll their eyes and turn away, right? So Jesus has given us this assignment number one. Preach. Preach the good news that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. But then he gives this second assignment, right in chapter 10, this fourfold overwhelming assignment. All right, out you go, disciples, right? Out you go. And, and by the way, after preaching the good news that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, uh, pay attention to a few things. You're also going to heal the sick, right? You're going to raise the dead. You're going to cleanse the lepers, and you're going to cast out demons. Off you go. Let me know how it goes, right? Come on now. Yeah, no pressure. Exactly right. No pressure, right? And so I'm sitting there this week, and this is why I think it's important. It's one of the kind of basic interpretive principles for Reformed Christians is Scripture interprets Scripture. If you're, if you're overwhelmed by a piece of Scripture, you've got to say, well, what's going on around this Scripture? Or where else in the Bible would I look to make sense of what's going on in this other part of the Bible? And one of the things that, one of the things that, that hit me this week was Jesus in Matthew 10 is not asking the disciples to do anything that he has not already done himself. Someone's sleeping, so I'm going to say that again, okay? Jesus has not asked the disciples to do anything that he hasn't done himself. Let me, let me show that to you. If you've got your Bibles open, let's play with this. This is, this is fun. This is good times. So uh, look at uh, Matthew 8 and 9. So Jesus says, in addition to preaching the good news that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, he says what? You're also going to heal the sick. We're in chapter 10 at this point, but look back to chapters 8 and 9, right? If you scan through those stories, it is just a wash with healing stories, right? There's the two blind men, for example. Uh, There is the story of Peter's uh, mother-in-law, being healed, uh, and you know this is good and godly company. If I was not in good and godly company, I'd make a mother-in-law joke at this point because I don't see Jesus first asking Peter, "Do, do you want me to heal the mother-in-law?" Um, but this is such good and godly company. I would never, ever say that at Sutherland. Another church, maybe, but not this church. It's real, real Christians here, and, and so uh, you know you have these healing stories. Uh, but the one that strikes me in chapters 8 and 9 that's fascinating, that really messes with my head, my sense of who's in and who's out, is Jesus heals a Roman military officer's servant, right? This is the occupying army, and he heals this military officer's servant. Jesus is awash. He's awash in healing stories, So Jesus in chapter 10 is saying, out you go, training wheels on, and you do what you just saw me do. I just did this, like the other day, right? Heal the sick. What about raise the dead? Well, it's right in there, right? The synagogue leader's daughter that Jesus raises to life, restores to life. Cleanse the lepers. Go to chapter 8, boom, 
verse 1. Boom, you smack right into a leper who is cleansed by Jesus. And remember, when you cleanse a leper, you not only remove their leprosy, but it's in there as well, go show yourself to the priest, blah, blah, blah. What that's about is basically get your signed certificate that you can rejoin community. This is not just physical healing, this is social healing. No more social pariah. You're now part of the community again, right? And then cast out demons. There is the mute man that's referred to as a demonic, but I think if you're sitting this afternoon reading through chapter 8 and 9, the one that's going to be like, wow, jumps off the page, is the uh, Gerasene demonic twins. In another gospel, we have the story when Jesus steps out on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, right? Uh, And who does he meet? He meets this uh, demonic uh, who says, uh, my name is Legion, right? This is not the story, but it's almost identical. Instead of one, we have two, because the story ends in a similar way. Jesus casts out the demon, uh, demons from these two guys in this case, and he sends them into the same kind of idea as, uh, as that one guy named Legion. But all the demons are sent into the swine, and the pigs go rushing down and end themselves in the lake, which I'm just thinking is a total waste of a good barbecue, Right? Okay, so, so you've got all of these uh, stories here. The reason I'm, I'm dwelling on, on this is that I think it's really important. I think it's really important because my, I don't know about you, my Facebook news feed this week was just awash with graduation photos. It's really lovely, right, to, to see uh, high schoolers all dressed up, ready to go, and to celebrate their accomplishments I know even uh, my daughter, who's turning 13, uh, finished primary at Lionsgate Christian Academy this week, and she's like, I'm going to high school, and all that kind of stuff, right? Maybe you have a grad in your family, you went to a convocation ceremony, uh, maybe a little bit earlier from college or university. Uh, Graduation is important because you mark the training you've received, and then you turn to put it into practice, What we're reading here is like a convocation speech from Jesus. He's saying, take that name tag that says disciple, that says student, and flip it around to say apostle. I'm not making this up. Have a look, right in Matthew 10. There's specific language about an apostolic ministry, right? Apostles found new Christian communities through their witness, right? So he's sending them out. This is graduation day. And he's sending them out. Now, we get this other part of Matthew 10. Just as they've been given this task, go preach the good news. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. Make sure that you are uh, able to heal the sick, to raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. It says, oh, and by the way, just as you are doing everything you have seen me do, you will be persecuted like I have been persecuted. Now that's a tall order, right? And we get these stories of uh, persecution down through the years. David Lose, who's an amazing American preacher and teacher of preaching, says too often we read the Bible in the past tense, we need to read it alongside the present tense. So Jesus today is not just um, sending the disciples out into the world in some past tense, he's sending us out into the world, promising these very same things, but also with a cautionary note of persecution. Now, it's hard for us at times uh, as Christians to understand this sense of persecution in Canada. 
uh, we're more ignored at times than persecuted, right? Uh, Canada 150 coming up next week. Uh, I would be uh, astounded if uh, any public official uh, goes to great lengths to note the contribution of Christians to the history of Canada, right? Uh, Before I was a pastor, I had a gig uh, working for a big company in Ontario that would take me regularly up to Ottawa, and I would uh, be in the House of Commons. And as you walk through uh, the House of Commons, you can see um, chiseled, chiseled into the ceiling, Christian scripture, chiseled into the ceiling, right? I often thought of that as I was walking to a meeting with a minister or whatever. I think, wow, okay, if this place burned tomorrow, we would never rebuild our national parliament with Christian scripture in it. We might have some token multi-faith room, right, like the ones in the airport that no one uses, right? But uh, this is a sense in which our legacy here reminds us that public hospitals, universities, social outreach have this great legacy of a Christian witness in Canada. Now, if we were Christians in places like Pakistan, in Syria, if you were a Coptic Christian in Egypt, the stories of those who deny me on earth will be denied in heaven ring true, as the recent massacre of Christians in Egypt has proved, right? They did not deny their faith, and they are acknowledged this day in heaven with our Father. There is this sense in which persecution comes in different ways. I think it's fascinating that both in St. Timothy's this morning... And then just now in Sutherland, we sang two different hymns of Charles Wesley. I was thinking about that this morning. Here is, a, here is an Anglican priest who is persecuted by the Anglican church, basically booted out for his evangelical views. Uh, it says it in the scriptures, you'll uh, be dragged before the authorities. But did you catch earlier in today's scripture, it said you'll be flogged in synagogues. In other words, uh, fellow believers will treat you badly. And I have a hunch there's a few scars in our worshiping assembly today that could tell those stories, right? We all have those stories. But the point is not about the persecution. It's about Jesus' presence and faithfulness with us. Did you catch what Jesus says? When you're dragged before people, when you're going through times of trial and persecution in your life, you don't have to have the elevator speech, Jesus says. Because the Spirit of the Father will give you the words to testify in the moment. I just think, I look around this church today, I think, I wonder where that moment will be. However you define work, I mean, the picture of these guys building the skyscraper, right, in Manhattan or whatever, that's one kind of workplace. For some people, you might be a stay-at-home parent. That's your workplace. For others, you get up and you go somewhere and you work. Some are retired. Retirement is not a biblical concept, so you're still on the clock for Jesus, just to let you know, right? So uh, I was uh, preaching at West Van Baptist last week, and I bumped into a guy uh, who said that his retirement job, he was a teacher, he's retired, and his new job is he gets to teach art on the Disney cruise ships that leave Vancouver. I thought, wow, how do you get that job? I want that job, right? So wherever God sends you, let's call the workplace, and your witness there is less apologetic, my elevator speech for Jesus, which is a a bit problematic. My uh, life verse, in many ways, has been 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to have a reason, a testimony, an account for the hope that's within you and share it with gentleness and respect. I love that verse so much. But I think what I hear in Jesus' teaching today, and, and 
check this with you and let me know afterwards whether you're hearing something like this too, is that it's less about having that down-pat elevator speech. And it's more about your whole life and your whole pilgrimage. That's why I started with pilgrimage. That brings you to a place that you are open to what the Father has to say whenever you find your place, uh, your, your time and place uh, where you're asked to give your witness and your testimony. It's less about apologetics and it's more of witness. Uh, I teased at the beginning that as a Presbyterian, you know, uh, pilgrimage is bad. It's because uh, John Calvin said that it was one of the um, uh, great offenses to the Reformation that people were still uh, going on pilgrimage. I was reading some of his writing this week from 1547, uh, which uh, no one else reads kind of this work of Calvin. I saying at the first service, you know those uh, hotel websites where when you're on it says three, uh, 30 other people are looking at the same hotel? I guarantee you no one else was reading this uh, this week when I was looking at it. But he says that uh, uh, if you go on a pilgrimage, you could be fined or imprisoned, yikes, in Geneva for that. But the reason was about exploitation. He didn't want poor pilgrims being fleeced by the church to look at some old saint's bones kind of thing. But if we, if we recover pilgrimage as an image in a more healthy way, I, I'm thinking of a scholar like uh, Maggie Dawn from Yale who says a pilgrimage, Christian pilgrimage, is a physical journey with a spiritual purpose. A physical journey with a spiritual purpose. Isn't that our whole lives? Isn't that a whole walk of faith with Jesus? It's a physical journey with a spiritual purpose. Carl Barth said that the best way to think of grace is to think about crossing a lake in the late spring that's frozen. And only when you get to the other side do you look back and realize the entire time the ice was breaking up all around you. That's what a pilgrimage through life lived with Jesus Christ is like. There is always danger. There is always persecution in and around us. Uh, but the important thing is knowing the presence of Jesus and being able to testify out of that. My home church in Winnipeg had a lovely family with two daughters. And uh, one daughter named Bev was uh, born with, um, uh, she had uh, mental impairment. She was uh, developmentally delayed. Uh, And I was always proud growing up in my home church that uh, Bev was included in everything. She would light the Christ candle every Sunday. She'd hand out bulletins. She'd help in the kitchen. Uh, She'd help in Sunday school as she got older. There was always a place for Bev, week in and week out, hearing the gospel preached by our pastor and lived out by the congregation. Uh, And as her parents got older, they couldn't keep her at home anymore. In fact, they had to go into uh, a care home. So that triggered Bev's sister, who is also in our church. I remember talking to her sister And she just felt so guilty. She was like, I know I should have my sister come and live with me, but I have a small apartment. I've got my job. I can't look after her. She wrestled with this for a bit. And then she found um, a group home. Uh, It's Winnipeg, so it was run by the Mennonites. Everything's run by the Mennonites in Winnipeg. Uh, and, uh, And Bev's sister told me about dropping her off for the first time at this group home. They pulled up, and Bev was like clinging to the car. She literally would not go in until the uh, uh, group home supervisor came out in a very soothing way, talked to her, invited her in, and she started to kind of walk in, but kept her head down, didn't acknowledge any other of the you know, residents who were there who were trying to be friendly, and they went straight to a room. She walked into a room, Bev walked into a room, and she put her uh, suitcase, all her worldly possessions, her one suitcase down, 
and she looked up at this little room that was going to be her new home. Uh, and she turned around to her sister, and she was just beaming with joy. And, and her sister was thrown off by that, because she knew, she knew like Bev was so afraid of what was happening. And she said, Bev said to her sister, it's okay, you can go now, I'll be okay, I'm not afraid anymore. Bev's sister said, like, why? And Bev pointed to the wall where there was a cross hanging on the wall. And she said, I'll be okay. Jesus is here. Where did she learn that? Where did she learn to trust? Was that in the moment? No. That's a pilgrimage story of a life lived with Jesus, surrounded by believers, that in a moment of fear, she produced a testimony. I don't know what you're facing this week. I have no clue. I don't know what I'm going to face. Trials come. But everything we face, Jesus, as the great waymaker, has gone ahead of us. He has experienced it. He has redeemed it for his glory's sake. Let us take courage as we witness while we work. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge with deep, deep gratitude your faithfulness in our lives. Long before we knew you, long before we loved you, you knew us. You loved us. You love us here today so dearly. We know that. We trust in that promise. Maybe there are those present in worship who are struggling with that promise. Maybe there are those here today just sitting in who have never heard that promise. We glorify you and we praise you that it's true. You give us the witness while we work. For you speak in and through us. Help us, O Lord, as we go forth from this place to know we are saved to be sent as your witnesses. In the precious name of Jesus.